you would please open your Bibles and me the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, as we conclude a series that we've been simply calling Bless to Be a Blessing. Now, I'll remind you that a couple of months ago, we kind of concluded our series in the book of Philippians, arguably one of the greatest books in the New Testament, kind of our first book that we've studied together as your pastor to you through the Bible, and, and so excited now. Remember, I told you then that, hey, we're going to come back to Philippians 4 in a series that we're going to have on generosity, and so here is this final segment right here. And I've been so humbled as your pastor to kind of take us through this four-week series on this study of generosity. Why does God bless us? Well, the Bible reminds us it's to be a blessing. Generosity is not something that God wants from us, but for us. The standard of our lives is Christ, and thus Christ is the standard for all Christian giving then. Believers are commanded to give like Jesus did, freely and generously. We give because Jesus is a giver. He gave his life for us. And those who follow Christ are to give for Christ. And that's why we started the first two weeks of this series with the words of Christ himself. We studied in week one, Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 24. And we talked, as Jesus says, on how we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not on the earth. Why? Because all of our lives we've been pursuing treasure. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we have been wired to pursue treasure. For where your treasure flows, your heart goes. And that's why Christ is so adamant. Make sure that you're building up for yourselves treasures on heaven. Because if you build treasures on earth, it's going to go. It's going to take from you. It's going to steal from you. It's going to consume you. But you weren't made for this place. You were made by God in heaven, for heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that's why Jesus places his priority in week two In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, on the kingdom of heaven. He says that the kingdom of heaven is is like a man who came to a field and he found this great prize. And in finding this prize, he covers it up. And then he sells all that he has to purchase this field. Why? Because the moment that you give your life to Christ as king, he reprioritizes your life away from things. That you begin to treasure Jesus. And in doing so, God begins to align all aspects of your life. For God himself is the provider of all monetary wealth. A wealth is a gift of God. It is a free expression of God's commitment to you as his people. And so that's why we needed last week and week three to hear from God himself. And we went to the book of Malachi chapter three. And we took on this principle, this way of life of the tithe, of giving of ourselves this first fruits, thus this expression of our best to the Lord. But the tithe was never about just a specific amount given to a specific place. It was always specifically God's people choosing to trust him most as God and thus be blessed. And so that's why I want to end this series with one of the most faithful promises in all of the Bible given by God to you. You know, in order for live to God's purpose, we have to live in light of God's promises. And that's what I want to talk today about one of the the most underappreciated principles of generosity. 
contentment. You see, contentment in Christ is the key to the management of God's resources for Christ. Giving is the reality that Christ is enough. A believer trusts that the more they give to God, the more God himself provides for their every need. That there will never be a time in our lives that God will not provide. That the moment we give our lives to Christ, we are in Christ. And thus, as we go, Christ goes. But if we're not careful, we'll be distracted by this point. That will allow discontentment and self-consumption as a means of us being consumed or absorbed, not by our king, but by things. You see, the world says, be better. You need more. Get this. Try this. Change this. Buy this and you'll be happy. For have you realized that almost any, almost everything in life is designed to make us dissatisfied with our lives? That's why it's always some other thing, is it not? You know, if I could just change this, if I just had a new job, I mean, if it was just this, this aspect of this relationship, if I just had a new house, man, if it was just this car, if I could just get rid of this thing. But yet Christ himself warns us of this. Remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, take care, be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So where does true life come from? God. And God, the author of life, has given you the opportunity to have life abundantly in his son, Jesus Christ. And the moment that you choose to completely surrender, to totally commit to him as the greatest treasure in your life, you then see all other treasures that God has given you in light of Christ as the greatest treasure. So the one thing, as we study this promise given by God to you, that I want you to get as you walk out of here and do life, is that God meets my every need in Christ. When we come to Philippians chapter 4, Really from verse 10 through the rest of the letter, Paul begins to express his gratitude and thanks to these Philippians for their generosity, how it reveals their true contentment and their ongoing relationship with Christ. And that same generosity, this same promise, this same contentment is available to us in Christ. But it's something that even though we've given our lives to Christ, it must be learned it's something that takes time. It's something that we have to continually give to the Lord over and over and over again. And that's what Paul reminds us in Philippians verse 4. Look at verses 11 through 13. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I learned, do you see this word? In whatever situation that I'm to be content. For I know how to be brought low and I know how to bound. And in every circumstance I've learned, there's this word again, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, next to Jesus, Paul is the greatest example of contentment we have in the New Testament. Paul knew how to live for Christ in abundance and in hardship. And he says here, for I've learned that whatever situation that I've been in, to be content. 
This word content here is only used here in the New Testament. It means to have nothing more. I've learned to have all that I need, to be entirely self-sufficient because I'm Christ-sufficient and satisfied. Paul's contentment came as a direct result from his relationship, from this attitude of trust in the Spirit-led providence and purpose of God through Jesus Christ. Paul says that I find that the more that I'm with Christ, that I'm no longer allowing my circumstances to determine my happiness or satisfaction. That I'm finding this joy abundantly in who I am in light of who God is and what he has done. Not in what I choose or not in what I obtain. It's an attitude he's speaking of here. It's the same truth for us. You see, contentment is being so satisfied with Christ meeting your greatest need, you lovingly trust him with any other need. You see, some people are so poor, all they have is money. Some people are so poor, all they have is stuff. Yet for those of us who have Christ, we find that graciously that God has given us our longest desire the thing that we've desired most in our life is met overwhelmingly, perpetually, continually in Christ who loves us and who provides for us and who empowers us to be everything that he's called us to be. It is this reality that then we lovingly trust him with any other need. Paul in all things had learned to be content by being satisfied with what God had given to him in Christ. And as God had met this need abundantly, he trusts that he meet all faithful needs. You see, lasting contentment is the result of abiding faith that God is in control. And I don't know about you, but all I needed to be reminded of this truth. I mean, how do we have true contentment? How can we want nothing more? How can we have all that we need? You know, one thing God has used to help me is by keeping track of my blessings. You know, not keeping an account of what others have and I don't have, but keeping count of what God has given me, keeping track of these blessings, whether it be health or family or relationships or a purpose, a responsibility, a A surprising gift, an email that came out of nowhere, a kind gesture or text or something that God is using and counting and keeping track of those. Have you done that in a while? Have you took an assessment or inventory of all the blessings that God has given you and faithfully gives to you in Christ? I think secondly, it's creating margin. You know, the the longer I I follow Christ, the the more I want to be a blessing for Christ And I'm finding that that God wants all aspects of my life with him. He wants this complete surrender because he desires a total commitment. And so even in the small things, God's saying, be faithful with these things. And so for Ben and our family, it's it's creating just another 1% to 2% more margin in our resources to just be a blessing. We call it the God fund in our budgets. It's just being open and available, choosing to send as opposed to spend. And it's amazing how God faithfully each week provides us an opportunity to do that. 
Maybe buying someone's meal at a restaurant. They don't know, but the Lord does. Maybe it's, it's being attentive to those that God has placed around you and, and using it as a way to bless them. Why? Because you've been blessed to be a blessing. You are choosing no today in allowing God to bless you tomorrow. I think it's also, it's just simply simplifying your life. I mean, why do you want the things you want? Why do you keep what you have? I don't know about in your neighborhood, but apparently in my neighborhood this weekend, we had a garage sale. And so, man, you know, our life is just as full as your lives. And you know, we, we didn't know. I didn't, I didn't. And so we're, we're, the garage door's going up yesterday. And, man, we're off our way to play some football. And there's people all over our neighborhood. It's like, what is going on here? And there's signs up everywhere. Garage sales. And, well, apparently there's a garage sale. And, and Brent said, well, you know, I, I wish we could have participated. And I said, hey, we still can. Just leave the garage door up. Take whatever you want, Right? I mean, honestly, we'll pay you for half this stuff. Just take it. You know, when was the last time you walked around your home? When was the last time you said, you know what, Lord? Why am I keeping the things I'm keeping? I mean, if you even use something in one to two, three years, why do you still have it? I mean, do you, do you really need three of these? You know, it's amazing how such a, a simple question can not just change your life, but change someone else's life. I had a church member about 10 days ago come to me and said, you know, Pastor, I, I just want to share with you the, the blessing of this series. And, you know, you hear these generosity stewardship series and, you know, where is this going to go? But he said, I've just been so blessed. And he said, look, I got to tell you that, you know, when you talk about treasuring Jesus and how, why we keep the things we keep, is this for God's kingdom or is this for my kingdom? He said, I never even thought why in the world do I have two generators in my shed? And he said, so I went out there and he said, you wouldn't believe it. He said, I was talking to my neighbor and my neighbor was saying how they needed this generator because they were gonna go on this trip. And so he said, literally, I just felt moved by God. He said, I can't believe this. But he said, I just went to him and said, choose. Just choose which one. And he said, the reaction of this man. He said, I've known this man for years. I've had these generators for years. But he said something so simple allowed me the opportunity to share why I would do such a thing because I've been blessed to be a blessing. He said, I had an opportunity to invite him to our church. So don't blow it basically, right? <laughs> How God can take something so small and make such an impact. You see, lasting contentment is the result of abiding faith that God is in control, that God meets my every need in Christ. See how I manage these resources. This is for his kingdom, not my own. This is to treasure him, not myself. This is so that all of those around me can say, look at Jesus, not look at me. Paul says, I've had to learn these things. In whatever situation I am to be content, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and obedience and need that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And now he turns from this personal observation to now one of generosity through God's people. Look at verses 15 and 18. 
He says, and you, Philippians, you yourselves, you know that in the beginning of this gospel, that when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you alone. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. For I've received full payment and more, and I'm well supplied. And having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, I'll remind you, historically, Paul planted this church in Philippi at around Acts 16. It's 10 years removed from this letter to the Philippians. Paul is currently, from his faith, in a Roman prison. He violated a Roman law, a praxidia, a protestus that said that Caesar and Caesar alone was Lord. Paul said, no, you're mistaken. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's king. And so as a result of that confession, Paul is in a imprisonment in a home, chained to a praetorian guard 24 hours a day. Now I'll remind you at the end of Philippians, God took such containment and used it as a means for movement and evangelism. The gospel was exploding. Even though Paul couldn't go anywhere, the gospel was going everywhere. And it was from that situation that word got back to the people at Philippi. And they were so burdened by their love for God and Paul, they said, what do we do? And notice their first reaction was blessing. This opportunity has arisen. How can we be a blessing? And so though they were etched in poverty, though they were being pummeled in persecution, they gave her the overflow of their resources and they sent a man from their church by the name of Epaphroditus to give this blessing to Paul. And he expresses his absolute impact of their blessing on his life. He graciously overwhelmed him to the point that he reminded him, oh, no other church was in partnership with me in giving and receiving except you and you alone. You see, you never know how your gift can impact someone else. You never know that your intentionality with God's gift to you, how it can bless others. Because the only money you'll ever see again is that which you give away. And even the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christ followers we've ever seen, was blessed by this gracious, generous gift of God's people to him. You see, content people have a more fulfilling life. They allow the richness of Christ to determine how they use his riches to be a blessing for others. And you know, tragically, so many of us miss this mark. You know, there's been a constant static variable among God's people for the last 50 years that most of us, instead of trusting in the Lord and being blessed, we give about 2.4 to 2.6 of our gross total income to the Lord and to his work. You see, this church at Philippi, they heard of an opportunity to be a blessing. And as a result of who they had in Christ and what they had seen and lived for Christ, their natural reaction was to give and to trust the Lord with the rest. And notice how God blessed. Look at verse 17. 
Paul says, not that I seek this gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit on behalf of this gift. Paul's focus is faithfulness that leads to fruitfulness. His point is you have chosen to sacrifice today. Trusting that the Lord will continually do what he promises to do. To provide and bless you for tomorrow. You know, some of us have these rhythms in our life. In fact, according to recent economists, do you know that 33% of all Americans have an IRA or a Roth IRA? I mean, we're, we're choosing today to sacrifice to intentionally allow these resources to provide a blessing for us in the future. What would happen if we did the same with God's kingdom? You see, though, one in three of us have an IRA, every Christ follower should have an IEA, an individual eternal account, an opportunity for us not to spend but to send to use this blessing that God has given us to be a blessing for those around us. For every gift for Christ makes us richer in Christ. And that's Paul's point. He rejoices over the selfless, generous gift of God's people, not for the material benefit, but for the spiritual benefit and blessing from God to them. Have you noticed that? I mean, have you noticed in your life that it seems that those who God blesses most are in turn the most generous? In fact, if we were to go through the Bible, whether it be Abraham or David or Solomon or, or you know, arguably even many in the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea, that those who God used mightily were also the most generous. It's been the same thing in regard to missions. Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known, also, one of the most generous individuals the world has ever known. He gave it all away. And here's what he said at the end of his life. The less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. I mean, God took this gift and just kept exponentially multiplying it over and over and over again. You know, elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 7, Paul talks about this exact point. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. For each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 9 this agricultural axiom to show that the size of a harvest is directly proportionate to the amount sown. If you sow little, you're going to reap or harvest little. If you sow much, you can reap or harvest much. The Bible reminds us that the more we generously give our lives to God, the more graciously God gives his life and blessing to us. For great generosity propels gracious blessing. Now, why would God do this? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, why does God lavishly bless his people? You see, God gives us more than we need 
Not so that we can have more, but so that we can give more. You see, we make our living by what we get. We make an impact by what we give. It's amazing to me that, you know, even culture, even institutions and leaders who are not Christ followers are beginning to know this principle. In fact, did you realize that giving has a physical and physiological, emotional and spiritual benefit? That even the culture can contend that giving adds more meaning to your life. That those who are generous with their treasures and their talent experience less depression, lower blood pressure, less stress, and a greater sense of purpose. Now, if the world will say that, how much more us in light of what Christ has done for us? The standard for our giving is not the law. The standard for our giving is Jesus. And as Jesus has given his life for us, we are to give our lives sacrificially for him. You see, Paul alludes to this point in verse 18. He says, for I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts in which you've sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul uses here sacrificial language from the Old Testament to figuratively convey the Philippians' faithful gift that it functioned as a sacrifice acceptable, worthy of worship in the highest sense possible. You see, priests in the Old Testament, they were to give sacrifices of dead animals to God on behalf of the people. It was seen one time a year as a shadow of what was to come. The ultimate Passover lamb, the one who would once and for all, Jesus Christ, take away the sins of the world. That same imagery is applied for Christ right here in verse 18. That as Christ has given his life completely for us, we are to intentionally give our lives to him. We are to sacrifice our lives. We are to live in such a way to build his kingdom, not our own kingdom. We're to manage his resources in a way that's not mechanical, but it's sacrificial, giving beyond our means. You see, giving is to be God-glorifying. We're to give our lives in such a way that only God gets the glory. We're to give our resources in such a way that only God gives the glory. And we're to do so in a way that is motivated by Christ, that it's voluntary. Choose, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. In a means of obedience, sacrificially giving as Christ has given his life for us. It's enabled by God's grace. It's exemplified by God's son. Yet so few of us do it. Yet so few of us are willing to step out on faith, to trust the Lord and to give beyond our means sacrificially. Why? I think it's three ways really. For one, it's heart, that we struggle with this tension of complete surrender 
total commitment. Man, Lord, I want you to bless me. I, I, I want people to see Jesus in me. I want to manage these resources. I believe what the Bible says. Lord, you 100% own it all. But yet I, I really want this one thing. Or, or yet, God, I, I, I really desire this one thing. And if we're not careful, that one thing may become everything. It may serve as a functional savior to us. It's not Jesus, but man, we think it is. And we struggle with this issue of complete surrender and total commitment. It's a heart issue. That's why Jesus talks so much about the heart in the Gospels. For where your treasure flows, your heart goes. Give beyond your means. Sacrifice for the Lord. I think secondly, it's a means of love. You see, we, we, we love stuff. We, we love our toys and our gadgets and our homes and our relationships and our restaurants and our experiences. And, and can I tell you that you know, God's given those to you for your enjoyment. There, there are means to enjoy them by glorifying him. The problem is when those things become the main thing. That's where we got to be careful. That's where we can't allow our heart and our love to be unequally yoked with our devotion. It's just stuff. It's just a game. It's just a thing. You were made by a king and for a king. But sometimes these loves can steal our devotion. I think thirdly, it's a, it's a miscalibration of home. Can I tell you how great this place is? Can I tell you how fun it is to live with you, to love you, to lead you, to shepherd you, to do life with you? This place is incredible. Very few like it. This entire part of the country. Trust me, I've lived. I've done ministry. Five different states. Very few like this one. But this is not home. This is not our home. We're not going to be here long. We only have so many days. In fact, the moment you rose this morning, you're one day closer to heaven. Praise God. One day closer to being with your king. But if we're not careful, most things in our lives will be aligned to staying here as opposed to going there. In fact, did you realize that the average American is $137,000 in debt? That for those 45 and under in America... The average American has $16,000 of credit card debt. You see, the world says, buy it. Be better. You need it. Just one more. Christ says, no, I'm the one. I'm the greatest treasure. And I'll provide you because I promise to love you because you're mine. That's why. God meets my 
every need in Christ. Now, can you see what Paul's doing here? He's sharing with you his heart in verses 11 through 13. I've learned these things. I've learned the secret. Now he's giving you this example. This is what this looks like. Sacrifice. Choose to say no today, knowing God's going to provide and bless you for tomorrow. Under then the foundation of this beautiful promise for you by God in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why don't we read this together? All of us right now. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says, ultimately, God alone will supply the needs of your people. He will not outsource it. He refuses to put it off for he alone is Jehovah Jireh. He will meet your need. You want to know amazingly what this is in the original language? Are you ready for this? Every need of yours will be filled to the fullest in keeping with the wealth that is his glory made available to you in Christ Jesus. Every kind of need is Paul's point. God's work for God's glory will never lack God's supply for God's riches are as endless as his glory. Paul says that the source of God's provision will be met with every need in Christ himself. Thus contentment then is the reality that Christ is enough. That a Christ follower trusts that there is never a time where I am without Christ. Thus, there's never a time that God will not provide in Christ. God lavishly provides the power to change our hearts in Christ. Can he not provide the means to abundantly meet our needs through Christ. Can I tell you, as God continues to bless you to be a blessing, that he will show you this truth? I had a church member call me this week and say, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. He said, for years, uh, my wife and I have struggled with sacrificial giving. He said, we've been faithful by God's grace in our marriage to, to honor the tithe. And, and he said, we've managed our possessions and resources in such a way that, you know, that, that we're, we're trying to, to send, not just to, to spend, to build God's kingdom, but... He says, it was this issue of sacrifice, of giving beyond our means. He said, I've struggled with it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So where faith comes in. And so he said, there was a, a specific opportunity that he was made aware of, a ministry. And he said, God put on my heart that, that we're to give sacrificially this one-time gift to this ministry. And so he went home and he told his wife the same thing. And she said, we need to trust the Lord. We need to trust God. This is what God's moving us to do. Let's do it. And so he said, I trusted God so much, I had her write the check. <laughs> he said, I was a little nervous. And so his wife wrote this check and he took it to this organization. He said, God has blessed us to be a blessing. We're going to give this to you as the Lord leads. He said, now 24 hours later, 
he received a phone call from a man who was managing a very large corporation. And the man had heard about this church member's reputation in the way in, in which he had faithfully done his work. And the man said, as a result of this, we're moving all of our business to your business. And he said, pastor, the exact amount that we wrote the check for 24 hours earlier was the exact amount that this count would bring to our company, to the dollar. And he looked me in the eye and he said, now I know we can't outgive God. And as you continue to live life for God in Christ, may you do so that builds up treasures in heaven and not on earth. That tells those all around you that you're treasuring Jesus. That you're trusting in God and being blessed to be a blessing. Knowing that God himself will meet every need of yours in Christ. May we, as we celebrate this day of first, for some of you, it's the first time that you've ever given. And by God's grace, you're joining right at over 110 households this year in our church that are doing the same. May you be blessed to be a blessing. For some of you, you're catching up today. You've been out of whack. You've been out of alignment. Man, life's happened. Stuff's happened. COVID's happened. But you're taking this principle of the tithe. You're trusting in the Lord to be blessed. Because of Jesus, we don't have to tithe. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But we want to tithe. We want this principle in our lives about giving our first and thus our best to the Lord. And so you're trusting God with 10% of your gross income for the rest of the year. May you be blessed to be a blessing. For some of you, you've been doing these things for years. You've lived out this truth in Philippians 4. And now you're saying, you know what? We want to build God's kingdom first, now and always. And whatever God's placed on your heart, whatever it is, you're entrusting with him as you've been blessed to be a blessing. May you do so today for God's glory.